Hello, Jews and non-Jewish eavesdroppers. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet's deputy editor, Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And senior writer, Liel Leibowitz. Marhaba, Habibi. Yes. Our Jewish guest this week is rabbinic student Dina Gottlieb, who's going, it's going to be like rabbi school confidential. She's going to tell us like what, <laughs> she just got back from her first year of rabbinic school. Wet um, hot American Jewish rabbinic yeah, school summer. Like, <laughs> and Dina's fabulous. And she's going to give us like the 411. She's going to dial it in on what goes on when a bunch of future rabbis get together in Jerusalem for a year or two. And stop being polite and start things, getting real. I guess that <laughs> things get textual. Textual. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Textual um, healing. And our Gentile of the week is Muslim writer Arslan Iftikhar, who blogs at themuslimguy.com and is going to ask for advice on thwarting uh, bigotry from the experts in thwarting bigotry for three millennia. Juice. Um, big news on the Oppenheimer home front this week. Rebecca came home from Jewish summer camp. So Mazel we're tov. back at full daughter strength. Is oh. she like more Zionist than she was before? Because she's the one who wants to move to, to Israel, right? If well, Trump gets elected. She- <laughs> I'm the one who wants to move to Israel if Trump gets elected. Sid wants to go to Canada. But as we're going to learn, there's now right of return in Lithuania or something like that. So I'm thinking of reclaiming. We should just go all re- the way back to Eastern Europe. Just, just. I mean, that's Ashkenormative of me, obviously. It's very Ashkenormative. We can go you, anywhere. Or even all Spain. the way back before to, then, to Israel. back to Israel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Stephanie, wedding planning? Uh, what's um, up? A deposit was made on a space. Wait, September, you know where you're getting married? September 9th, 2017. Will it be on the island of Manhattan? Yeah, on the island near my parents. I'm not going to say nice. where, just because like, you know. Oh, the paparazzi. Yes, I mean, yes, you don't want to yes. deal with that. No, we're looking at bands <laughs> right now. You, there's a few things I learned you have to book right away. Golem. Band. No, location. Band. Band. I mean, Mark, I think we'll, that's it. We'll Cater? sing. Cater? We'll sing too, no, right? I'm not mistaken. Oh, we're doing an original song. We, we, we might even also... bring in the Jubador to back us up. <laughs> I mean, you have a Jubador. This is true. You yeah, know? I can just source he things be here. The, entertainment. the ballad of Stephanie and Ben Cohen's wedding. I like it. <laughs> we have a title. Well, we have he a could title. do that before. I want him to do like the lead up. And then but... he would also play the Miss uh, Holocaust Beauty Pageant <laughs> song. No, no, I'm sad. Love that. That's that's for the rehearsal. Enough about me, Liel. It's exhausting. How's things, Shay Leibowitz? Oh, I, I'm excited. Yesterday was a uh, was a big day for me. Mm-hmm. My feelings about Sarah Silverman are well known. Uh, <laughs> are well I, known. I dislike her profoundly, tremendously, immensely. But she became the first speaker to mention on the stage at a major political convention the sacred name of Baba Booey. I missed her speech. Did she, she finished her? Well, I mean, speech. I saw it, but I didn't see. I missed she the, concluded the, her remarks. The end with a uh, Baba Booey. So, and for that, she has my love and respect. That's was amazing. Forever. That's all it took. You know how long it took for Bowie Americans to be represented by a major political party in a convention? Could, just for, for our listeners who don't know who he is. jackass to be represented in a major political party's convention? For our listeners who don't know who he is. Our listeners who don't know who he is uh, have lived life incorrectly. And so they should go to the internet and they should repent. By Googling. By listening to uh, Three Days of Howard Stern. Of Howard Stern. And yes. then they will know Baba Bowie. Yes, they will. Baba Bowie. A little news of the Jews. Uh, Two Jews will be on this summer's U.S. Olympic men's rugby team. I didn't even know there was an Olympic men's rugby team, but apparently it'll be two-sevenths Jewish. Nate Ebner, who plays football for the New England Patriots, is on leave from the Pats so that he can go to... Uh, Brazil. He's like, football's not to like play, to play physical pretend, enough. Pretend football. Let's do pretend football, right? And he will be joined by fellow Yid, Zach Test. They'll both be in Rio to bring home the golden rugby. Yasher Koach, rugby dudes. I follow Zach Test on Twitter. Do you really? Yeah, I like him. Represent Z Test. Yeah. Go do dudes. Democratic National Committee Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz stepped down after leaked emails probably hacked by Putin's nefarious hench peoples. 
showed that her finance chair, Brad Marshall, had written in an internal message. It might make no difference, but for Kentucky and West Virginia, can we get someone to ask Bernie Sanders' belief? Does he believe in God? He had skated on saying he has a Jewish heritage. I think he's an atheist. My Southern Baptist peeps would draw a big difference between a Jew and an atheist. Mm -hmm. Also in the news of anti-Semitic tweets, uh, the WikiLeaks Twitter account had to take down uh, a tweet that described some of its critics as Jewish establishment climbers. The tweet was actually, quote, tribalist symbol for establishment climbers, question mark. Most of our critics have three brackets around their names and have black rimmed glasses. Bizarre. The three brackets, the parentheses, of course, are the Twitter, the echo, are yeah, the echoes echo. that show. The I mean, Jews. Who, who would have thought that the Russian agent, multiple rapist, a Jean Provocateur, is an anti-Semite? I mean, Julian this is, Assange. This is really unlike him. So I uh, think we say alleged. Apparently, in front of any of those things, right? Just, it's, just in it's, case it's, our lawyers. Are the good news is, though, that it's not just Julian Assange. He's not out there alone in no, the anti-Semitic tweeting thing. Michael Flynn, who was <laughs> on the Trump shortlist for vice president, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn sent out a, or he retweeted um, some somebody who said uh, about the leak of the DNC emails. "Quote: The USSR is to blame." End quote. Not anymore, Jews. Not anymore. Meaning, like, we're not going to let the Jews persuade us this was Russia because, of course, the Trump people are pro-Russian, which is very weird. There are so many questions. So many questions. Here. For one thing, like— I feel bad for Flynn. You know, had he tweeted it a week earlier, he probably would have been the vice presidential (laughs) nominee. The window had closed. Trump would be like, I like this guy. (laughs) This guy is panache. He has a certain je ne sais quoi that my campaign requires. Put that guy in the ticket. I think there's two main takeaways. One, politicians really don't know how to use Twitter. Most people don't know how to use Twitter. He right. probably just, like, I, I believe that he saw this and didn't, like, maybe didn't see the Jews. He said he meant to retweet just and, the CNN story. Hold on, and didn't read the yeah. basic anti-Semitic accusation at the heart of this? What, what about this? The, the degree to which the things he wants to say and the things, like, Trump wants to say are so aligned with the things that, like, white supremacists and neo-Nazis are actually tweeting is, is that's the frightening link for me. Not that like, Oh, he, he retweeted the wrong person. It's like, no, he agreed with, I mean, he, he didn't like, yeah, he shares he, the sentiment. Yeah. The sentiment is there. Even if he's not the one being like, no Jews, like, you're, like he's not overtly anti-Semitic himself. This is why or David, at all anti-Semitic. David Duke announced his candidacy for Senate. But there's weekend. like a weird dovetailing. Like, of, this is, this is my time. This bitches. is his time. Yeah. The Palestinians are preparing to sue the United Kingdom over the 1917 Balfour declaration. Could somebody, ah! explain, could, I couldn't get past the headline yeah, of this. Could so, Somebody take the yeah, role. You're on this one. So I'm, 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 I am on this one. So here's what happened. You know, so Mahmoud Abbas is sitting in his office. And one of his aides walks in. He's like, you know. Could we refer to him by his technonym, Abu Mazen? Abu Mazen. He's like, Abu Mazen. <laughs> Rais. So I was listening to Sher the other day. I have a good idea. If I could turn back time. <laughs> if I could find a way. I'd take back all those hurtful words and we would stay. They are literally, their strategy meeting. <laughs> It's basically a share lyric. They're like, you know what we should do? We should turn history back. We should sue Britain and reverse the Balfour Declaration. <laughs> it's so amazing. The Balfour Declaration was the sort of paper basically committed England. committing England or Great Britain to uh, establishing a national home right. for Jews in uh, Eretz Israel. Uh, this is fantastic. I think by the same token, uh, the uh, Israelis or the Palestinians rather should sue the Iranians. Because if it wasn't for that meddling Cyrus the Great in 593, <laughs> you know, uh, BCE, then the Jews would never have returned from exile 
and then build the second temple, which inconveniently a thousand years later would be the place where Muhammad made his history. This is all really Cyrus's fault. But I like that it's like, it's not the Israelis' fault. It's not Israel's fault. Like, oh, it's, no, this it's, is the one thing that actually does not blame Israel. It, it's England. It, it is England. They Although, are the great big fault. For 1917, they had the here's Balfour the thing. Deck. Oh, At least the they kind of got that right. I mean, at least they... <laughs> ironically, this is their sort of foot in the door to actual historicism, where they're saying there right. actually was a worldwide consensus. That, and actually, Israel didn't create the state of Israel. The United Nations, like maybe they're going to sue the but UN next. You understand why when when you and and your siblings criticize me for disrespecting this this basically clown car of of a nation that uh, is the Palestinian Authority, uh, it is extremely and exceedingly hard to take these people seriously. I disrespect you for disrespecting all of them as a people because as Americans we value individuals. We don't say they're li- we, look. We could end up with Trump as our president. This too. is like a very Talmudic thing to sort of like go back. Like there's something very it is, isn't it? like probing, and it's like sort of it's not a loophole, but it's it's sort of an intellectual it's and historical it's something that the Jews would do it's, it's, like, it's very yeah I know Shlomo we sue them that's what we do we <laughs> well, sue the too, but also sort of like not sue I mean it's 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 good. It's, it's good. very irreconcilable like differences. Yeah. Pretty soon they'll be suing yeah, Ryan exactly. O'Neill for for eman- to emancipate them. Is there a no fault divorce at the There's UN? A no fault can, divorce. We, can we do that? But but look. You know who wants us back is Lithuania because uh, <laughs> that's the part two of this story. The first part of the Lithuanian news of the Jews is that you can get married in an old concentration camp in Kaunas, 55 miles from my ancestral home of Vilnius. Stephanie? There is an old complex where thousands of Jews were starved and murdered by Lithuanian Nazi we're, collaborators. We're looking at you, Stephanie. According to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, the Seventh Fort, as it is known in a somewhat sci-fi-ish way, is now a popular venue for graduation parties and wedding receptions. Where they play the popular song, <laughs> Here Comes the Bride, Old Dressed in Stripes. <laughs> Complete with buffets and barbecues. There are summer camps so for children. So it's a line for the buffet, yeah? Shh, let me finish. There's summer camps for children. There are elaborate treasure hunts around the premises. It's like JCC day camp, but with no Jews. The remains of 5,000 murdered Jews are buried at the fort in mass unmarked graves. Well, they're marked by a few poles and rocks. On the upside, last month, the Lithuanian parliament did pass a naturalization law to help descendants of Litvak Jews get their citizenship. That means me. So... If Trump comes to power, I can move Sid and the kids. Shalom, motherfuckers. <laughs> back to Lithuania, where I can send them to summer camp on the ground. On the seventh floor. So the best thing about that story, Oppenheimer's concentration out. camp. You're missing one piece, which is that people Oppenheimer's don't know. House. No one seems to know what this used to be, because there actually is no marking. So people are like, okay, I'll do my graduation party there. And no, it's not like, here is like former concentration camp this. There's what some- you're saying is that if, if, they, if the Oppenheimers move their mark would be the only mark there is to mark the Jews, mark the Jews. in Lithuania. I just want to say like when I said September 9th, 2017, I did not say where. Seventh Ford, it sounds, it sounds really like, uh, like mysterious and she charming. Right. So uh, two lines. Oh, very scary. Left to the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> right to the sushi bar. Yavol. Oh, hi to you. You can tell us what you think of our sense of humor at our upcoming live shows. We have five of them booked. We have four of them booked for the coming year. September 19th will be at the Jewish Community Center of Greater New Haven, Connecticut. October 27th will be at Hebrew College in Boston. November 17th will be at Beth Zedek Congregation in Toronto, where we may stay, in fact, as it's 10 days after the election. So if Trump wins, that's when we're, um, we're defecting. Open can your we, homes. Can we request us. asylum, like, on the spot? Totally, totally. Yeah. February 10th, 2017, will be at Temple Israel, or as I call it, Temple Israel, in West Palm Beach, Florida. I think it's awesome that Alyssa has managed to book us in West Palm in February. Oh that's going to be, we may not come back for, we may request asylum in West Palm Beach. Um, we may try to swim to Cuba. <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> on the little raft. Now that we can buy cool American oh stuff God. there. Your kids would be the reverse alien Gonzaleses. That's right. <laughs> It'll be like the cute little American kids the dollar, begging to stay in Havana. The dollar goes far. Listen, my friends, before we go any further, I want to tell you we have one more fundraising week. Please go to tabletmag.com slash donate. I just want to say thank yous to those of you who have given big. We've gotten a lot of $180 donations. We've gotten some four-figure donations. They will keep us on the air now into early 2017. Um, I also want to I, I also want to thank the people who have given small. I've said it before, but it really is very, very meaningful when someone takes the time to give $5 or $18. It says that you really care. That is why we do this. We do it for you. So thank you. And please go to tabletmag.com slash donate and help us keep going. The other thing you can do is tell your friends about us. If, if each if each of our listeners signed up five more listeners, we'd basically be the most popular podcast. It's like if you sign up one person, you, say, you sign up a whole nation. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's an open Ponzi scheme. Our guest Jew today is Dina Gottlieb, who just finished her first year of Reform Rabbinic School at Hebrew Union College. She hails from beautiful Long Island. She, she is a Scorpio. No. Uh. Virgo. Gemini. Gemini. She's a Gemini. Uh, she's an old friend of mine. And I just thought it'd be neat to have on someone who's in training to be a rabbi. She's back from the, the first year of rabbinic of five years is in Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. And so she's back for the summer. She gets a summer to hang out and catch up on her on her TV. And then she's off for four years it, at the campus in New York City, at the end of which she is Rabbi Dina, right? So, correct. Okay. So welcome. Welcome. Thank Before you. we even start, I have a very serious question because I'm I'm in need of some rabbinic guidance Absolutely. myself. Absolutely, I'm only a student, so. Well, no, but but but, but you know, you're <laughs> that counts. That counts for a lot. So so here's the deal. I I need honest advice. So I have a good friend who's getting married in a year. I I am obviously the person she would like to officiate her wedding. But there's another friend that we have who thinks he's also somewhat of an officiant. Now here's the deal. I'm telling you this in in all candor. He he's not as good as I. Am. Now, how do the two of us break it to him without insulting him? Oh, rabbinically man. speak, it's not even a rabbinic question. That's just, you think that's you a know? social question. That's just I don't an think etiquette. you need rabbinic I mean, just, guidance just on that one. How, how do you how do you tell him? Tell Let's him? call him Mark. I say Mark. <laughs> just you know, a common name. Mark. It's not going to happen. While you think on that, I have another question for you. So why why do you want to do this? Well, I think it's really meaningful work, and I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off there. That's okay. that's just not really getting. That's not no, doing it for me. So it's for so it was meaningful. Yada yada. Judaism's meaningful, but in like six or seven years, you're gonna be the assistant rabbi at some small little congregation, far 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 from the Jesus, rest of you're your such life. A good salesman. <laughs> and, and, no, I mean I, I think we have to keep it real here. And you're gonna be teaching bar mitzvah trope to some boy whose parents don't know anything and like drop him off for his lessons. And and you're gonna be trying to teach this boy whose voice is cracking and who would rather be playing name a video game, Leo. Pokemon. <laughs> there we go. Is that going to be a thing why, in six why, years? Yeah, why, it's 2016. Do you worry about the despair? I just see it as a lonely profession. I think our job, the job of people who are becoming rabbis, is to try to make it relevant. And I think that's really hard. I don't think that's a given. I don't think every kid is into it as the kids who grow up to become rabbis are. But I think that's the challenge. And I think it's a worthy challenge to keep making meaning in people's lives. Because ultimately... The kid still is at his bar mitzvah lessons. The family wants something to be passed down, and that thing has to be meaningful and it has to be relevant. So how do you do it? I mean, I, I'm assuming you've thought you're a year in. I'm assuming you've thought about nothing but. How, what, how do you approach this question? How do you make Judaism great again? <laughs> I make Judaism great. <laughs> 
Well, I think I think that's a question that has a lot of different answers. For me, it's first getting to know the person that you're working with, right? Because there's so many different things within Judaism that can be inspiring for people. So the first thing is, I'm. Let's just take the example of a bar mitzvah kid because I've done, you know, b'nai mitzvahs for people. You just need to like, what is the person interested in, and what is going to get them excited, and what are the things that they like to do that aren't their bar mitzvah lesson? No, I think that the relevance in Judaism can't just be a soundbite because that's easy to say and it's easy to forget. And I think instead it has to be something that really is powerful and really doesn't just make you think about a fact, but makes you think about the way that you live your life. So now you come out of the conservative movement, right? I do. And like, you, you know, stuff like you, your Hebrews, like you can read Hebrew, like you're, you're, you're like, I know you, you're, you know, stuff The the stereotype of the average reform congregant. And I, you know, here I'm including my, I mean, I grew up nothing. So I'm including myself and also many people I love is that they don't know so much stuff. Like I'll go to, the, I'll go to a reform bar or bat mitzvah and like after an alleged year of study, sometimes you'll see a kid who like can't stumble through one line. How did you choose the reform movement? And I mean, do you worry about, I'm going to be perfectly blunt, like the low level of knowledge that you'll find in a lot of reform congregations? So I think there's, there's a few ways of thinking about value in Jewish communities. So one way of thinking about value is knowledge, right? Is your congregation, how much how much time have they spent learning Talmud and how often will they go to a class on, you know, the Parsha of the week? I think that's not the only way to assess value. The reform movement, what one of its strengths is that it really emphasizes intentionality. The, the congregations want an experience on Shabbat that really feels their rituals and their rites of passage are incredibly meaningful and wants to make sure that everything that they're doing has a lot of thought going into it. I think the reform movement is really good at getting to the the point of instead of what are we doing here? Of doing what feels but, good? But no, but more, not about what feels good, but more about why do we do this particular thing? Havdala yoga. What's your feeling about that? Havdala yoga. <laughs> Everywhere I go now, there's Havdala yoga. <laughs> I the question that Havdala really matters yoga. to American Jews. <laughs> Is that like when the candles are your blocks? I don't know. I've never been to Havdala yoga. I just know everywhere I go, there's someone who wants to do Havdala yoga. I think there's a lot of people who... Like Judaism, not enough. They're going to yoga up their Judaism. Well, I think people are looking, constantly looking for ways to make meaning. I think that people are always looking, especially, you know, people who are becoming rabbis, to to get at that relevance. People want to make it, you know, want to make Jewish ritual something that people want and something that people are excited about. You see, but that that drives me crazy. I, you know, not to outblunt Mark here. <laughs> But there's this is a religion, right? It's a drug-free show, man. There's there's a there's a there's a tradition here, right? You want to be part of it? That's great. Sit down, study, read, and practice. Don't don't make shit up. Don't be like, oh, this is vipassana yoga havdala that also honors the Sufi tradition and half of our prayer books in Arabic to connote peace to the world. Fuck it, like. We have a beautiful tradition. Read a page of Talmud before you do a, a Havdalah yoga. But I also Shabbat think people fast. people invest in different ways, and I think that you know people are. I think rabbis are seeing that people. There's a lot of people who aren't going to sit down and study Talmud. Even the people who say everyone should sit down and study Talmud before they do this, that, or the other thing, or make this kind of you know new innovative practice. And I think that there's something about. You know, it doesn't definitely doesn't work for everybody. And, you know, I don't know what my rabbinate's going to look like. And who knows what kind of stuff I'll feel like will be something that will connect to the people who I'm working with. Because I think more 
now about just preserving knowledge. It's also about making sure that you're connecting with people and who people are finding something that makes them go to Havdalah yoga instead of, well, you know, I'll skip Havdalah and I'll See, go I to think, I think these are two different things. I mean, connecting people is is, is one uh, purpose and it's it's a fine purpose. And, and if people want to practice that, that's great. And they could call it whatever they want. Uh, and then there's Judaism, which has been going pretty much undisturbed uh, with, with many variations, not saying that it has been anything near a, a sort of a monolith throughout the ages, but it, it's its own thing with its, its own body of knowledge that you should kind of bother looking into if you're going to call yourself that. I, I'm not obviously saying this to, to attack you. I'm saying this because because I feel your pain, right? I feel the approach of a young rabbi saying, oh my God, how am I going to get these people who are never going to read a, a you know page of Talmud to actually go in and care? Dali yoga aside, like I didn't never heard of that till today, but and now you'll I think never you guys are it. very tough on, like you guys are being yeah. very dismissive of reform and even conservative Judaism. I th- and I think I'm with Dina on this. Like there's, there's no right way to be Jewish. And I know you might say the right way is like, I study Talmud. That's a, no, I, I disagree. I'm tough and ignorant Jews, not I, on I any other kind of denominational I, I, Jews. I think, I think, you know, if you have a reform family and they do Friday night dinner every night and that's like something for their family, I, I don't dismiss that as not being Jewish because the, you know, the parents might not know every Parsha. Like I think, I think we needed to, Judaism to me is about a lot of, you know, what, what it's what Dina's saying, like what connects you to this. And so I think that there are different ways to do it. And I don't think, I think you guys, I'm calling you out on this. <laughs> I also think that it, just based on my time spent in Israel, I think there's a huge difference between Israeli approaches to Judaism and American approaches to Judaism. I think a lot of Israelis really, who really look down their noses on reform Judaism because exactly because they think it's, you know, ignorant. It's not, it's, it's not learned enough. And I think that because for a lot of Israelis, the right way to be Jewish, even if they're not following it, is the Orthodox way. And that's something that yeah, I really learned the hard, the hard way this I, past I agree year. with you about this. But Stephanie, just, just, to, just to, you know, correct this just slanderous, libelous impression of, of I wrote of my it down, opinion. so yes, it I, is libel. I really, really think, you know, this is not about a, a denomination. It's not about doing something a certain way. It's just about doing anything in any way that at all relates to this thing that Judaism actually is. I don't care what you do. You know, I eat bacon. I put tefillin every morning. To me, these two things are not necessarily in contradiction. What matters to me is that you do something. You show some commitment that's beyond, you know, I kind of feel Jewish. I'm going to call myself Jewish. I've never actually taken the time to like read the books or practice any of the less convenient, less fun things. But it kind of feels good so to say it, that I'm this. I don't quite get it, Leo. So, I mean, I don't eat bacon. You do. Is it, that, is it that you you just want them to be on a sort of ladder, like climbing their way up toward more knowledge or observance? Because Havdalah Yoga, just to pick on Havdalah Yoga, could certainly plug you into that. I'm saying that there is a, you could start with a, a yoga distinct tradition. And uh, end with that, tefillin. Right. But I'm saying there's, there's but but no, because, and, and here's why. I'm saying there's a distinct tradition uh, that has a rich, broad kind of body to choose from of both rituals and, you know, books and texts. And I'm saying, if you're going to be like so, 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 so many American Jews that we know, kind of all about, oh my God, we strongly identify as Jewish and we love Israel and wasn't the Holocaust terrible and isn't Seinfeld funny and don't we just enjoy locks, but then say like, yeah, no, I'm actually not going to take the time and, and go study the Parsha. I'm actually not going to take the time with any of the rituals that are a little bit more complicated. It's not a ladder as much as it is a recognition 
of what the thing is. It's not this malleable, you know, silly putty that you could just shape into whatever it is neatly fits into your lifestyle. It is a religion with very clear boundaries that you could say, look, I reject in some cases and I accept in others. I'm not advocating everyone be orthodox, but I'm saying there is a there there that you need to address in some way and that people are choosing to go to Havdalah Yoga instead of saying like, hey, I'm kind of a big reader of books. You know, like once a month, I'm actually going to sit down for one day, which by the way, I do for one night a month, sit down with a safer, you know, like a real Jewish text and I just study it. But I also think everyone is selective. I think everyone is selective in which rituals they're going to consider are really important and are going to be central to their Jewish lives and which rituals they're going to say, you know what, I want more creativity in this particular moment. Authenticity is different for everyone. So here's a question for you. If you were were appointed chief chief rabbi of the Jews, uh, Jews. Jewish pope. Oh At large, what are what is one or more of of the traditions practices uh, that you would ban forever? Ban? What don't you like about about the about Jewish Judaism or about and, like would I ban Havdalah yoga or would I ban uh, no, about, bacon? About, about, like about the way Ju- Judaism is practiced and lived in in America right now. You're saying like what irks you? Yeah. What irks me? I think something that's very important to me is returning to prayer because uh, that's that's. Ori- that's uh, like original prayer. And of course, there's no prayer book that's like the original prayer book. And prayer has certainly, Jewish prayer has certainly evolved over the, the, the centuries. But I think that there's something that's so beautiful, even in translation, even if you're going to read it in, you know, different style from just sitting in a prayer book. I think for me, something that's very, very meaningful is getting to that well of poetry and creativity. And it's, you know, a way of describing what Judaism was a long time ago that can feel really relevant for us today. And I think sometimes that prayer is abandoned for things that are more easily accessible and like, you know, songs that are even, you know, taken from from pop culture and songs that are taken from other types of traditions. And just like we were talking about, that really speaks to some people. But what speaks to me is is prayer that comes from psalms and prayer that is has you know was written a long time ago because for me that's where authenticity comes from leo what would you ban i would ban the rabbinate i would ban the motherfucking israeli rabbinate once and for all because it is a ridiculous body that does not deserve to exist amen which is so funny because they advocate a lot of the stuff that you know you were just talking no they don't they actually do they actually do the throwing of candy after bar mitzvahs at the end of bar mitzvahs i would ban the themes Theme bar mitzvahs? Oh my, it's, uh, I mean, I know it's ubiquitous, but it's like, you know. All themes must be Judaism. Like, yeah. The like, bar mitzvah like must be Jewish. Your Pokemon bar mitzvah, man. your volleyball bot mitzvah. I just, it's like, it's so hard to reconcile your contempo American theme with the tradition. Anyway, final question. So who in your life thinks you're nuts for doing this? Your parents, your friends? Are you, what's the feedback of people who love you? Certainly not my parents. My parents think it's really cool and are super into it. Um, my friends think it's neat and interesting. I I get much more than you're crazy. I get a lot of curiosity. And there are a lot of questions about, you know, I think I think on on clergy people, there's a lot of sort of projection of priest life because that's what we like in America, we think clergy and we automatically think of like someone who's a Catholic priest. And so they're like, can what so can you not get married? Can you not do <laughs> so wait. So people are like, wait, let me let me figure this out. Yes, and so I, I think, must now molest children. That is the contract oh I have signed. Dina Gottlieb entering second year rabbinic student at Hebrew Union College. Thank you for being our Jew of the Week. Thank you very much. Come back again.
You know, I get up at 5 a.m. every Tuesday to tape this show. I have to hop the commuter train. I got to, you know, have a cup of coffee. And then I got to come here. And by 9 a.m., I have to be, you know, sounding profound with and, and deep, rich voiced and everything. And the only way I'm going to get there is with a nice shower, a cup of coffee, and a clean shave. Otherwise, I'm hopeless. If I came in stubbly, it would be hopeless. I've been getting that necessary shave from Harry's. Uh, I get it from Harry's for a few reasons. First, it's a damned good shave. Harry's bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for nearly a century. Their blades are sharp, but they're not like Sweeney Todd murdered you sharp. They're the sharp that you want. They don't leave you with a million cuts. They just leave you smooth. The head pivots to get all those wisdom lines and creases. There's a lubrication strip that just makes it glide oh so smooth. Uh, I just get on that commuter train feeling my best. I'm feeling ready to go host the world's leading Jewish podcast. Second, I, I use Harry's because it's convenient. It ships right to your door. You don't have to ask the beleaguered clerk to unlock the case at Walgreens or CVS. And third, it's affordable. I mean, when did shaving get so expensive? It doesn't have to be. Harry's has better prices for those of you who like a bargain. Their starter set is just $15. It includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. Uh, I take the shave cream. I'm just I'm just a, a shaving cream kind of guy. Um, as an added bonus, you can get $5 off your first purchase with the code unorthodox. So listen, go to harrys.com. Harry's will give you $5 off. Type in the code unorthodox with your first purchase. It's harrys.com, no apostrophe, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Use the code unorthodox. Be smooth. Send us an email telling us how smooth you are. You don't have to thank us. Uh, we live to serve. Use Harry's. Smooth, just like a silk, soft and cuddly, hug me up like a quilt. I'm a lyrical lover. Now take me thin or filled with my sexual physique. John know me well built. Our Gentile of the week is Arslan Iftikhar. He is an international human rights lawyer. He's a media commentator. He's the author of the very recent book, Scapegoats, How Islamophobia Helps Our Enemies and Threatens Our Freedoms. He blogs at themuslimguy.com. And he's he's a dude. Uh, Arslan, welcome. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. Have you ever been a Gentile of the Week? On a I, show I can honestly say that in, in 15 years of my work, I've never been a Gentile of the Week. Okay. Have you ever been described as a dude? I have been described as a dude. Uh, as a dude. But the Gentile of the Week, that, that has a trumpet. Now, when's your wedding? Uh, wedding actually happened uh, a few months ago. And so, Mazel tov. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It's very kind of you. And so, uh, yeah, just uh, getting settled into a uh, married life here. So here's the most important. I have two questions for you. Sure. And, and then we'll get we'll get to we'll do some chit chat. We'll get to your question. Who are you, First of all, who are you voting for? Uh, I mean, I see you as kind of a Trump guy. You're sort of you're on the fence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I because I want to be the first person to walk into the Muslim internment camps. That's right. Where are they setting those up, by the way? Are those in Utah? Are those yeah, in Utah? and some of them are in inhospitable regions of uh, the West and the uh, frontier. I well, mean, look, the first one in will have many, many, many rights that the others won't. You should consider this. The well, first one, I, you know, I had, you know, being a Muslim public intellectual, I had to be the first one in, last one out sort of uh, thing. True. I've written about it. So, uh, first yeah. Muslim in the camps get to pick uh, the movie on Movie Tuesdays. You know, I get to pick my bunk. Uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be swell. 
Right. If you're in the bunk first, when the next Muslim shows up, you get to haze them. And yeah, say, totally. Like, that's that's that's. So I guess right. If you're if you're a public Muslim and and Trump comes, you don't get to move to Canada, right? Because then you'd be selling out your fellow yeah. American Muslims. Yeah, no, no. I'm uh, American through and through. I'm going down with the ship. So what's the argument of your book? You've just written this book about mm-hmm. Islamophobia. What what is the argument of scapegoats? Well, uh, it sort of starts with the the title of it, scapegoats, as you know, Mark, and many people know. It's actually a biblical term, and and it was very deliberately chosen because. Um, if you're a, a minority demographic group of any sort, you've been scapegoated in the past. And, uh, you know, that's the purpose of what I was trying to write about in terms of the growth of Islamophobia today as a civil rights lawyer, as somebody who studies uh, the civil rights history of the United States. Um, you know, even though Islamophobia is sort of uh, front and center within our sociopolitical zeitgeist, that, that we've all been scapegoats before in the past and tomorrow it'll be somebody new. And, uh, you know, to sort of give a narrative history of the, um, you know, the, the arc of Islamophobia since 9-11. You know, most people don't know that three days after 9-11 on September 14th, 2001, uh, Ann Coulter wrote a syndicated column that was published in over 300 newspapers across the country saying that we should kill all Muslim leaders and convert them to Christianity. We should airlift pig's blood into uh, Muslim countries because we don't they don't associate with anything having to do uh, with pork, we had uh, two Republican congressmen, one uh, Saxby Chambliss from Georgia, who was quoted as telling law enforcement officials that we should, quote, shoot every Muslim that crosses the state line. And, it, you know, he was actually rewarded by being promoted and now serves as a senior senator from Georgia. And so, you know, we look at this post 9-11 world and, uh, you know, where we are today in the year 2016 uh, is sort of an abstraction. And, and what I wanted to do with my book is sort of give that narrative history from 2001 to 2016 and say, listen, this is where we are as a country in terms of xenophobia today. And, uh, you, know, let, you know, let's make sure that it's not somebody else tomorrow. I mean, to be fair, all these statements were made after Ann Coulter joined Donald Trump in witnessing hundreds of thousands of Muslims in New Jersey. Yeah. On 9-11. <laughs> I mean, some yeah. context here might help. Yeah. Well, and so, you know what people don't all uh, you know they they often don't understand or keep in mind is that uh, over you know nearly two hundred Muslims died in the World Trade Center attacks. It wasn't like we we got some sp- sort of special phone call, uh, you know, telling us. Uh, to leave. I heard well, the, the, Jews the, the Jews got that. The Jews got that call, man. Yeah, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. I think it. I saw that on Twitter recently. Next next time uh, we well we conspire to attack America and bring down the government, we'll make sure to include you. We just that would be awesome. Include, include your Abraham and cousins. Come on. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You're not on that email list, but. We'll, we'll loop you in. We'll loop Fair you enough. In. Fair enough. How scary is it being a Muslim right now? Like, are, are there a lot of glares on the street? Do you feel it walking down the street? Well, I feel, I mean, as a six foot four, you know, smarmy looking Muslim male, I, I feel it when I walk onto an airplane. Um, you know, yeah, I, I walk into an airplane. You're, you're a dark brother. I mean, you're, I, you're I not, am. You're not no. wearing any sort of specific garb. You know, your garb is like, you know. Brooklyn yeah, no, I mean, I, I can, to be in fairness, like I can sort of be anything. I mean, people have mistaken me from, from Greek, Turkish, uh, Persian to anything. It's it's really the, the... I like to think of you as Native American. Actually. Thank you. I am Native American. Um, <laughs> the reservation we'll be putting on, we're not going to think of it as an internment camp so much as, as just a reservation. There you go. And uh, you know what What really troubles me is like the, you know, hundreds of thousands of Muslim women who wear the hijab, the headscarf, or the, the Muslim men who, you know, keep a beard in observance of their faith. And, you know, that's why, sadly, we've seen so many hate crimes against Indian Sikh men uh, who both keep a turban and a beard in observance of their faith, obviously, uh, you know, who get lashed out. And they're like, shit, I'm not even Muslim. Like, yeah. it's not I, enough to I'm be not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Muslim, nor am I an Arab, you know, the, and, and what most people don't know is that the first hate crimes murder after 9-11 was against was a Sikh. an Indian Sikh man named Balbir yeah. Singh Sodi. 
in uh, Mesa, Arizona, who was so aware uh, of the, the sort of jingoistic fervor in the four days after 9-11 that he actually wore a red, white, and blue turban to work every single day, and it still didn't save his life. And uh, a 44-year-old man named Frank Roque walked in, shot him point blank in the face. And as he was being taken away by police and television cameras congregated on the gas station, he almost repeated in a trance-like state that, I'm the real American, I'm the true patriot. And so this is the stuff that we're dealing with today uh, in terms of people who are Muslim, Arab, or South Asian, or perceived to be Muslim, Arab, or South Asian, who are um, you know, receiving the brunt of, uh, of hate crimes uh, in many places in America today. So has this increased with Trump? Like, are you noticing it more distinctly? Yeah. Sort of fanning the flame? That's a very good question. Uh, yes, I, I think it, it's become, um, you know, we've seen peaks and valleys. Uh, if you look at the last 15 years, it, it's usually when there are major sort of uh, watershed events uh, globally, whether it's the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, Bali, Madrid, London, uh, even the Paris attacks, things like that, that we tend to see a spike in anti-Muslim hate crimes and rhetoric. But but, but Donald Trump has, has essentially, you know, uh, normalized it. And, and it's important to keep in mind that it's not just Trump, right? Trump has essentially normalized Islamophobia to the point where nearly 70%, 65 to 70% of registered Republican voters in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and a few other states said that they agree with his with his Muslim ban. And, and as I have said on NPR and CNN and Meet the Press, and I will say until the day that I die, you know, if you can replace the word Muslims with Jews and sound like a Nazi, you probably shouldn't say it. Um, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I say this. I say this to my wife all the time. I'm just always turning to her, saying, "Imagine if it were the Jews, right? Like, just take any one of these things. Yeah. You say that regarding of many things, not many just things. Trump, <laughs> many things. Just, like, honey, imagine these were the Jews. Imagine the little Pokemon people were the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> just put a hat on them and some side locks. But I, it's it's really astonishing how yeah. um, how the taboos, whatever taboos there were, have just like vanished. They've just evaporated, and people just now say incredibly, you know, racist and bigoted stuff. I mean, but of course it's the Jews too. I, you know, I, it's yeah. easier to be Jewish in this country right now than to be Muslim without question. But, but you know, they'll just say this stuff. I mean, it's the women. Yeah. It's like bigotry is now just, it's, yeah, it's just cool. It's okay. Cause they're being un-PC. So that gets to your question for us. You, we, we said you have an internationally recognized panel of Jewish experts here. I do. And we said, do you have a question for us? I, I do. What do you have for us? Well, uh, you know, as a, as a religious minority community who has been historically scapegoated, uh, both uh, domestically and abroad, what advice can you give to the 7 million American Muslims who are witnessing the current rise of Islamophobia here in the U.S. today? I mean, as, as, a, as, a, as a people who have never really successfully been able to avoid this throughout history, I would say we have absolutely not, no clue. <laughs> no clue on how to go about being not hated by the majority of people. Fair if we knew, we would do it. I mean, this, I don't mean to sound glib, but I think one of the, the net, like the richness of Jewish cultural tradition comes out of this. And so this isn't like immediate advice for what to do while you're actually Stephanie's being tell scapegoated. You, just deal with it. You'll have eight Nobel Prize laureates in literature. No, no, I just, the- I just... I don't know. I, I, I don't actually, go with that. You know, I, like I was, you know, we had, we had Nagin Farsad, um, the Muslim mm-hmm, comedian on, sure. and she has those subway ads that say, you know, just the funniest things about, like they're, right. you know, it says like her campaign is the Muslims are coming. And it's just yeah. like, it's very, it's this thing where you're like, I, I don't know, like working, I, I trying working within this like terrible system to try and make something make the moat not the moat i don't know what i'm saying i actually have an i, I actually think you're I actually, humor? I actually i will i will double down on that i will say um and and you know i know i know some funny muslims i mean you're a funny guy uh arslan but um uh 
the the humor as a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other minority groups, not Muslims. There are some other minority groups who I feel like they need some more humor in their survival strategy, and it will help. Not that it's the responsibility of the oppressed people to figure out how do we like placate and please and and make our our oppressors our oppressors smile, right. but as a survival strategy internally, like. You need the the more comedians, the better. Fuck humor. Uh, yeah. I disagree. Oh, here's, really? Here's here here's what I think. Uh, you oh, know, I know as, what he's going to say. As the warlike, uh, uh, you know, uh, Wait thoroughly thoroughly conservative, uh, red blooded, uh, gun carrying uh, member of this panel. Uh, not gun carrying at the moment. Gun carrying. <laughs> Thank you. You know, ideologically. <laughs> uh, this is this is what I think, and and I and I feel this strongly, and I've written about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it's time for a new politics. And I think it's time for a new politics that specifically uh, emanates from minorities in this country and that specifically revolves around precisely what you just said, the understanding that we are fucking interchangeable, right? To to the Trumpites, of whom there are not a few, <laughs> of whom there are many, um, we are, for all intents and purposes, interchangeable. That that one of them tweets or that many of them feel... Uh, you know, uh, intense hatred of Jews, uh, as they feel intense hatred of Muslims and would kick both of us out if they could. This is a time for us to form a brand new politics that it washes its hands off the so- kind of like namby pamby political correctness, uh, liberal disaster of the left and of the insane bigotry of the right and says, we're normal Americans. <laughs> we represent with ideological differences here and there, but we represent all the promise and all the greatness of this incredible country. And, and we're going to make it great again because immigrants are the only people who ever did make it great. And I think the thing, and Mark, you've talked about this recently, is like Jews now know, and I, I really hope they know that, you know, if, if the mob, the, tw- the Twitter mob, the Trump mob is going after Muslims, like they're going to come after, like the Jews are right behind. You know, we're, we're <laughs> like, we're, there's a sense of like, discon- we're not comfortable right now. Like we're not, we're not relaxed. Like there's, yeah, no. there's a sense of like, we're always sort of minorities, I think as a whole are always sort of like, want, we're, I think it's like, you know, we're interchangeable at a certain point. Yeah. Or, or, or we will be. No, know. the mob always comes for us. It, it doesn't always start with us, but it always ends with us. Jews and the Muslims are first. We need to recruit the Asians onto this ticket. Yes. And, and then I, I, know, I see a super group. And then I think, you know, the Latinos and the blacks would just join. And yeah, that's basically the Justice League right there. Is, there, is there a Marvel film series in this? But I, I, have, yeah. I, have, I, have, I have four words to end this conversation. Okay. Aziz, I'm sorry for president. That would unite all Americans right right here and right now. Is he Muslim? Yeah, he's well so he's that's not Hindu? No, so that's another thing. So he is he is Muslim by birth. He actually has stated he's gone out of his way in a New York Times article to one state that he's an atheist. That's how but, you get the Jewish vote, because all Jews are atheists <laughs> too. So. Right. I'm just, listen, I, I I agree. It's gonna be really interesting to see what the next 10, 20, uh, 30 years bring, uh, assuming that we don't end up in internment camps under a president Donald Trump. Well listen. Arslan Iftikhar, the book is Scapegoats. When you end up in the internment camp, I'm coming to visit Please you. Please come visit. Thank You'll you. will be in the internment camp next door, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on now. All right. Thanks a lot. Come back sometime. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. this week this is a really nice one i i circulated this one around the office dear unorthodox i am a 67 year old cancer survivor and former corporate lawyer ex-new yorker who now lives in minnesota i left new york because i never felt jewish enough in some circles and i felt too jewish in other circles i'm a tap dancing storyteller performance artist who defines himself as a devoutly agnostic left wing 
anti-religious Jew who loves Israel but hates the influence the Haredim have had on life in Israel. I've always felt like a diaspora Jew without a home in Judaism until I started listening to Unorthodox. Suddenly, I have a home. I love your podcast, and I love even more how it makes me feel as a Jew. I find myself laughing and crying and oftentimes shouting at my iPad as I listen to the three of you talking about nothing more than being a Jew in this insane world of ours. Last note, I too am a Universal Life Church minister, and I recently performed a Jewish wedding for friends aboard a booze cruise between Long Beach and Ensenada, Mexico. I was great. More importantly, the bride's elderly mother thought I was great. Please never stop doing what you're doing. All my best, Howard Lieberman. Stephanie. So we're going to add Howard Lieberman to the short list. Howard Lieberman. Howard Lieberman, you're on the list. Here's another one. Dear Unorthodox, first of all, mazel tov to Stephanie on your engagement. I love the fresh voice that you bring to the podcast. That's such a code word for young. The fresh. Like, fresh. 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 You're Hip. fresh and fresh. Um, Poppy. I am writing today because I feel something is missing and I'm surprised. I'm intrigued by your interest in theology of other faiths. Yet when it comes to articulating our own theology, it's glossed over. Sometimes you act like you don't know about Judaism, our stories and beliefs, but I'd wager that you actually know better, but somehow won't go there. I don't believe that you really would say that we don't have a, quote, story that can be put into a few words. How about asking your listeners for some input? Again, Mazel tov, Stephanie. Robert Brightman, Moyle, certified by the Rabbinic Assembly, past international president, FJMC. I don't know what that is. Robert is not doing your wedding, but he <laughs> will. The the this is great. I've so, got everything lined up. He's obviously referring to the fact when I said a couple weeks ago that like Christians have this easy story like son of God, born, died, resurrected, and Jews don't have that. I didn't mean, Robert, that like we don't have a lot. Of, we have a buttload of stories. I just meant we don't have like one easy, like an elevator an pitch. One. But right. what I also think he's saying is like when we have Gentiles of the week, we're like, so tell us about your like your religious upbringing, which we never do for Jews because it's like you're Jewish. Yeah, like it, it it's actually is like really ours. fun. Yeah, Robert, Funny. I have an idea. Send us some specific questions. What do you want to know from us? We've talked about our various beliefs in God. We've talked about our assorted practice. We know Leal lays to fill in, but also eats bacon. Like, what, what, are we yoga. Le- what are we leaving out? And we will answer that for you. Okay. And, and is it like, do we do you want to know if someone's conservative? Like, what, what, I wonder yeah. what we should be asking people. Yeah, what do you want to know? Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob Moyle. So, Mazel Tovs of the Week, Liel. Yes, uh, to my dear friends, Matt and Paz, who had a baby daughter the day before yesterday. Welcome uh, to this earth, Liberty Theodora Miller. Theodora after Theodore Herzl. Wow. A new champion of freedom has been born. <laughs> it's like, it's Not a very, joke. No, that name now, I mean. Yeah. Like, you must have been born Theodora. in the Trump summer. You, you were born, uh, it, you know, your birth coincided with America's decline. But you will, you will make us great again. You will make this right again. Stephanie. Baby. I, I got a shout out to our reform and conservative listeners of whom I think we have a lot. And I want to say that, like, I'm with you. I think we do. I think I think you're fine. I don't don't be offended. You know, keep on doing what you're doing, whatever <laughs> Ab- it is. Absolutely. We love you, too. Absolutely. It's and not our, like we don't. And our secular listeners and especially our Gentile listeners. Oh, of yeah. whom There's an endless supply. Just eavesdropping, trying to, like, get the secret code, trying to unlock the code to making money and controlling Hollywood. And mine is to comedian Paul Shear. I've discovered his podcast. It's called How Did This Get Made? Um, Paul Shear, you might know, is a major crypto Jew. Everyone thinks he's Jewish, but he's actually Catholic. He's on the show uh, The League, which is an underappreciated comedy. I discovered this podcast of his where they just 
make fun of extremely bad movies. So the episode on the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, The Quest, is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It actually sent me back to watch Bloodsport, which I'd never seen, about which more on a future podcast. Like, I bet Liel's a big fan. And am I right? Correct. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. It's on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited this week by Scott Kent Jones and produced by Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision is by Alan Caney, Ross Diamond, Pam and Leslie Harris, Holly Nelson, Alex Selden, Michelle Sackheim, Lori Kaufman, Scott Newman, and Larry Lonky in honor of his 60th birthday, Mazel Tov, Larry. Mazel Tov, Larry. Lonky. Kosher slaughtering is by Trump speechwriter Stephen Miller, who is my vote for the worst Jew of the week. Look yep. him up. Oh, look, yeah. Look him up. Stephen Miller. Our website is tabletmag.com. Follow Tablet on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at tabletmag. Our music is by Golem, and we record in Posh Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, friends. <laughs>